0: Hello, it's Katie Halper from Useful Idiots. Before getting into today's episode, I want to mention that our interview with the journalist Chris Hedges had so much good stuff in it that we've decided to split it into two parts. So we'll be releasing part two of our interview next week. Thanks so much.
1: Alright, welcome to Youthful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi.
0: And I'm Katie Helper.
1: And we have a great show coming up for you. We have a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter and a personal hero of mine, Chris Hedges, is going to be on.
0: Yeah, great guest, great guest. Very excited to be talking to him.
1: He was a little less excited. I mean,
0: I don't know why you're saying that. I thought I saw some glimmer in his eyes. I feel like he was very happy to be here. He really likes you.
1: It was a great interview, so tune in. And right now, it's, uh, as our uh, cameraman Reed would say, it's content time. It's
0: content time. Yeah. So but first, we have some pre-content.
1: We do. We have some pre-content. Which can
0: carry diseases, by the way. And that is that we are doing a live stream debate commentary next week.
1: Right. Instead of just live tweeting, no, we're actually going to be on camera. We're going to drink on camera. Yes. We're going to figure out some way to do it. So follow us on Twitter. We'll, we'll let you know exactly where and when to be. But yeah. basically, next Tuesday. The show So the is going to be Tuesday instead of instead of Thursday yeah. next week.
0: So it is that time of the it's week where we Time. We do content time, and we do the four food groups.
1: Right. So uh, it's Republicans suck, Democrats suck. Isn't that horrible? Isn't that weird? Yes. That's me first, right? Yeah. Republican Republicans suck. suck yeah. So I, I, I kind of cheated a little bit this week. I mean, Canadian Republicans count. Basically.
0: Canadian Republicans, what are they? Like the It's
1: the Conservative Party okay, technically. Yeah, sure. So but they they got a big election coming up October twenty first between Trudeau and uh, Andrew Scheer, who is the Conservative Party candidate. And um, the amazing development last week was that it, it turned out that Shear is an American. Well you
0: know? which is worse? Shear being an American or Justin Trudeau doing what is it? Face? It's not black, black face. face. Yeah. Well, what was he pretending to be? Was it Arabian nights? Yeah. Okay. So he's trying to be Aladdin, Aladdin so, face. So
1: they're billing this now as as the American versus Aladdin. And um, shear had previously criticized other people who had not renounced their dual citizenship with the United States. Oh,
0: what are the odds?
1: And so there's there's actually there are some great gotcha moments where where uh, reporters are uh, cornering him. And he, he really lards up his Canadian accent in response to being accused of being American, which is, it's pretty funny.
2: How do you explain your criticism of Michelle Jean's dual citizenship when you hold dual citizenship? I asked a question
3: uh, at the time about, uh, about the fact that she held it, asking my constituents what they felt about that.
1: So this was this is a big sca- scandal in Canada. It's like the ultimate in hypocrisy, and of course he's striking back by go by doubling down on the whole blackface Aladdin theme with with Trudeau. So right. it, 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 Canadians are essentially as as shallow and stupid as we are right, now, yeah. which is really, I think it's, it's great news for them. One last thing yeah. about that, which was really interesting, the t- Toronto Star did an outraged, outraged editorial about Shear Sheer turning out to not be, right. well, he is Canadian, but he's also a citizen dual, of another right. country. They said, having, it's not like having dual feet, they said.
0: It's not like having dual feet. Dual
1: citizenship, it's not like having dual feet.
0: It's like having tri, I read that line tri- like eight feet. Times. What yeah. does that even mean? I'm
1: not even sure, but it was such a such was, a
0: weird thing to say. Right? Is that like? Is there some dual foot? Lo- is that like two left feet? Or they just mean like?
1: Well, I, I think the idea is you're allowed to have two feet, but you can't have. What a weird. You can't what have a two weird. Is that maybe it's
0: a Canadian turn of phrase?
1: Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. The Canadians are, are they of um, a weird They're people. excellent people, but they're very strange. So. Yeah. Okay, so that's I mean that's that's basically a Republican suck story, a Conservative yeah. Party. And that's coming up on the twenty first, so we should find out. It's yeah, gonna be interesting yeah. to see who wins. We'll have that. them both call in. So what do we got in Democrats suck?
0: Um, we have Speaker Pelosi, who said that she is supporting Representative Quayar, who is facing a primary challenge from Cisneros. So this is a congressional race in Texas, and you have an NRA um, donation-accepting anti-choice, basically blue dog Trump ally Democrat. run, And he's being challenged by a Justice Democrats candidate who's a young Latina woman. He's an older Latino man. There's nothing wrong with being— Latino or older, but just so people know the context, because a really weird big narrative that people use when they go against the Justice Dems is that they're attacking and targeting black members of Congress, and like they're not. Like they're they have as many. In fact, one of the people they're primarying is a white person, and they're primarying him with a black person. Not that this. I mean, it's just like they're they're not even lying. Well, the, Uh the centrists who are attacking them. But do you want to hear this? It's it's kind of cool. Okay, let me just play this. Will you have
3: a friendly incumbent rule heading into this election cycle so that if any incumbent Democrat in your house is challenged in a primary, that you will default to endorsing the incumbent
0: Democrat. That's... Absolutely. That is the easiest question you can ask. So
3: Henry Cuellar is in the audience. Congressman Cuellar from Lareda, who is here and has a challenger in the primary. You are a Henry Cuellar Absolute, endorser. Absolutely.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm very, very proud of Henry's work in the Congress, and I'm proud to support him. Sorry, I'm sorry. So it's just a typical, like, kind of spineless, blue dog Democrat um, looking out for each other. Because this guy really is pretty uh, centrist, pretty Trump-friendly, and won't return the donation he got from the NRA. Mm. Which, I mean, I'm already thinking of like the um, people doing devil's advocate defending, keeping that money. And you could have a kind of Machiavellian argument where you're like, well, I'm going to spend it on uh, gun safety legislation lobbying. He's clearly not going to do that, though. And it's just, you know, as much as she talks about, like, women, uh, listen to black women, as much as she does that. Actually, her listen to black women is more of her Trump clap.
1: I didn't even... Oh, I've this never, is on Twitter. It's like meme. listen
0: to black women or give your money to women. You've seen on Twitter, like the hand clap thing? No, I haven't Oh, really? Seen All right, this. well... And then, but I didn't even realize this, there's this other connection because you remember Nancy Pelosi? This was the most delusional pseudo-feminist take on Nancy Pelosi's response to Trump. When she stood up, she gave him a standing O.
1: Uh-huh
0: and she went like this and people were like yes slay oh, right. queen yeah, she was like she, was, she uh, gave him so much shade it's like no she stood up and gave him a standing o
1: she had something in her eye yeah probably you know, yeah.
0: yeah it was so weird anyway that was
1: the re- there's there's a whole subgenre of reading into facial expressions that's become like a news thing now.
0: Yeah, I like, guess you have to do it if you're if if your politicians suck as much as
1: ours do. Ours do, yeah. Yeah,
0: you have this whole subtextual analysis.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, reading reading faces, it's like facial recognition journalism. Yeah. So, um, isn't that horrible? So I, I've what I've learned is from doing this is that is isn't that horrible stories that evoke the worst reaction in you have to do with animals. Yeah. When I talk about millions of people dying, you're like, "Oh, that's interesting, right?" But if well, it has to do right. with like a fluffy cat or something no, like that, I don't or, like cats. Or, or I'm sorry, Tell dog, me a, a, about little, a, cat. a little a little dog with a flat face, yeah. right? Yeah. And seals, you didn't like that either. Or pigs. Or pigs. So they don't
0: have to be flat. I'm not. I don't discriminate. I just don't like cats. Or do you remember the other animal I don't like? Let's see how much you were how seen i was and how listened to oh my god I, I, I didn't, didn't see you a,
1: i didn't listen to i wasn't to, seen no sharks what? sharks that's right cuz you you didn't you wouldn't <laughs> mind if
0: amy klobuchar killed a shark
1: right with a with a, with a golf shot i'm
0: pro shark aside
1: right yeah and
0: anderson cooper is a shark apologist i is once he? heard him on the radio being like they're really misunderstood i'm not kidding sharks are misunderstood yeah he has shark he has they're, human blood on his hands Shark bite human blood.
1: Sharks just want to eat you. Yeah. They're oh, not misunderstood. you know who they
0: should? He? The, they need to be the mascot for? You know which political campaign?
1: Uh, oh, uh, for Cory Booker. Booker Buttigieg. Booker, Booker Buttigieg. Yeah, don't forget.
0: Yeah, Buttigieg. Little, little fighting shark. Yeah, fighting shark. Yeah. yeah, an ostrich almost killed Johnny Cash. By the way. Really? Scraped How? his stomach with his claw. <laughs> I know this from reading his autobiography. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. That's funny.
0: That, yeah, it is funny, right?
1: So, okay, just just quickly, the the story that isn't that horrible story this week is eleven elephants plunged to their deaths in quote ravine of hell waterfall in Thailand.
0: Why? Why did they do wild that? Wildlife
1: officials in Thailand said Tuesday they have discovered the carcasses of five more wild elephants oh downstream from a waterfall where the bodies of six other elephants were found last weekend. The carcasses were discovered after the first six elephants plunged to their deaths at the How Narak ravine of hell, waterfall in Khao Yi National Park in northeastern Thailand. And we have a little clip of a Thai official right now who's going to tell us something important. And what he's saying there in that clip is it's unsafe even for elephants to go outside. Right. So. Stay inside.
0: And listen to or listen, watch yeah, Useful li- Idiots. Yeah, listen right. listen
1: to Useful Idiots. Because even, even, even elephants can handle it out here. The world is just its it's falling apart.
0: Elephants have really good memories, right?
1: They do. So they
0: must not have seen the ones in front of them falling.
1: Here, I'm going to tug at your heartstrings oh, now. Do no. you know why they went over the waterfall? To save them? No, to save a baby oh, my God. elephant. It's like, like the al- ultimately horrible oh, story. So, so six of them went over and then, no, so five of them went over and then six more went over. And we don't even know whether more or more For have. Ba-
0: yeah, they could have more auxiliary elephants yeah. coming down the. We should revisit pike. this
1: next week. So, wow. You know, more elephants died in the report. I care about human beings.
0: I used to not even care about animals at all. When people told me that their dogs died, I'd be uh-huh. like, sorry, whatever. I mean, I wouldn't say that out loud in my head. That's what I would think. <laughs> is so. that what you were like? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, whatever. We should
1: find who, who, if you were a friend of Katie's in your childhood. Yeah, and, and, and I said
0: that. No, childhood. I, this is like five years ago. And then okay. my parents adopted this cute dog. You know, when you look at a dog, when humans and dogs look at each other, they release oxytocin, the bonding hormone, uh-huh. more than they do with cats. Okay. And I'm sure more than they do with sharks. So, um, for isn't that weird? We have, uh, you know, Barry Weiss, our dear friend, Barry Weiss from the New York Times. This is from Monda Weiss, which is a great website. Oh, I just realized, Barry Weiss, Monda Weiss, they have nothing to do with Weird. each other though, just two Jews. So, Barry Weiss uh, has been making the, the rounds, I don't know if you've seen this, and she's promoting some book that she wrote, but earlier, this is from a couple weeks ago, but it's just too good to resist. She did an event at the 92nd Street Y, and uh, she likened anti-Zionist Jews who support boycott, divestment, and sanctions, BDS, the BDS campaign against Israel to Jews who had surgery to reverse their circumcisions just so they can fit in with the cool goyim. Oh, my God. So here's what she actually said. So Jake Tapper, another guy who I'm ashamed to share a tribe with, he said, what do you think about Jews who support BDS? It's not a Is that your Jake first. Tapper yeah, it's was? not great. It's not very good.
3: What do you think about Jews who support BDS? I'll give you an historical example that I've been thinking a lot about. In... Um around the time of the Maccabees and the Hanukkah story, the
2: Jewish boys, teenagers, and young men were so um, desperate to fit into the surrounding society and they wanted to pass off as non-Jews in the gymnasium where you obviously exercised in the nude.
3: So they actually underwent an ancient surgery to undo their circumcisions. Don't vomit. (laughs) This is real, it's really
2: real and the details are The reason I bring that up is that the desire to be a part of the cool group and the desire to be a part of the group that you always thought was your home and the deep
1: psychological discomfort of realizing it might not be is very powerful.
0: And feel a part of your foreskin. Right. I just made that up in real time. I'm very impressed oh, okay. With that I thought line. that was actually no. a thing.
1: Okay. No, I just so, added that
0: on. Just a tip. Sorry. I'm really. I'm, dun dun dun. I'm. But isn't that like a weird? She's like. So, I've been thinking a lot about so reversing the Palestinians
1: is, is 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 reattaching your foreskin. Yes. Okay. I
0: don't know if it's a foreskin extension. <laughs> foreskin extensions. They're right. Like some yeah. It's like
1: foreskinoplasty. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. A transplant
0: or an implant. Or, as we brought up once, but I don't think it made the cut, which is so weird because it's so appealing to hear about. Oh, I didn't even know. I didn't even <laughs> do that. I really didn't do that. that. But uh, I don't know if it made the edit, but we did talk about that movie Europa, Europa. Right. Which yes. Is about I, I remember buoyant, that scene, yeah. actually. Yeah. So you did see it, right? Yes. Where he, in yeah. the bathroom, pulls down his foreskin and it's purple, which led me and my friend to create the hit song Europa, Europa, Purple Penis Opa, which you may have heard.
1: Yeah. We just talk about foreskin Foreskins, too much in the foreskin show foreskin already. left and right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was kind of weird, right?
1: It definitely is. So that's okay. So we we have the Canadian prime ministerial candidate is is not really fully Canadian. Right. We have Nancy Pelosi, is He's not really is fully progressive. Not really fully progressive. We have elephants can't survive uh, and are they dying have too because much of heart. Katie. And uh, something about foreskins.
0: Yeah, something about Barry Weiss and missing force, reattached foreskins. Right. That is her band name. Right. Barry Weiss and the reattached foreskins. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of Jews and uh, body parts, it's right. time to talk about Bernie's heart. <laughs> that rhymes. I did not plan that. <laughs> I didn't plan any of those things.
1: So uh, le- legitimately a uh, major news event. Yeah. Because there's no way around it. It's a serious bloated bernie's candidacy
0: yeah and our hearts and his candidacy yeah so i mean people probably know this at first we thought it was just a stent kind of a routine well i didn't
1: think that but you didn't
0: you thought from the beginning when you heard about it
1: well i mean they were they were trying to pass it off as a routine procedure or something that was you know like maintenance or something like that and no you aren't hospitalized and have to have a stent put in unless you have a major cardiac event i don't think so really
0: i guess so yeah and i
1: think that was kind of a problem with this story is that a lot of Bernie's critics, you know, got a lot of mileage out of right. this because the campaign, I think, mishandled probably. Yeah. they those. should have
0: come out from the gate. They should have just owned or it. And or Marty, him. an MI at least. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I agree. And it's very hard for me to ever criticize Sanders or his campaign. But I think that to be fair, no matter what he had done, they would have gone after him. Yes. But I do think that that lent, it, that lent an air of kind of like secrecy. It gave the secrecy allegations some legs, but you know what? I'm just going to say that's anti-Semitic. If you say that, you're an anti-Semite because of the oh, so trope we're officially declaring of the that secrecy now secrecy of the Jews, yes, and that they're sneaky people and wily right. people. And honestly, I'm disgusted by anyone who said this, and I'm putting you all on notice.
1: So if you think Bernie had a heart attack and and actually, you hate if you Jews, think he had a
0: heart attack at all, if
1: you're actually even listening to this yeah. right now, you hate Jews. Yeah. Yeah, yes. you should
0: have walked out of the room the second I said right. heart attack, or you should have emailed Rolling Stone and been like, why are you spreading these lies against Amo Bernie? I'm just going to use the the anti-Semite allegation as loosely as people have used the sexism with Hillary and with Warren. Not that there isn't sexism against them, but sometimes it's overused, so...
1: I mean, the, the, the part of the problem here is, is a little bit of a Boyle cried wolf situation, because ever since Bernie... Announced his run for the presidency. There's been like a story once every 3 days should, should Bernie drop out. Oh Bernie should drop out. And you can you can go back and look. It started really as soon as as soon as he started doing well in early 2016 yeah. in the primaries. Right. You started to see a lot of these stories. But now you know it's just one story after another and, and there's all this concern trolling going on in these uh, in these stories <laughs> Bernie Sanders' heart scare Democrats on campaign trail and House leadership uh, may be too old that's from you know Chris Silliza in CNN, you know how Bernie Sanders' heart attack changes the 2020 race. Sydney Ember, of course, shined in in about six seconds. Bernie Sanders has heart attack, his doctors say, as he leaves hospital. Sydney the, the...
0: Ember from New York Times. Who, yeah, uh, this is what this is my favorite part of what she said. Ready? She, I can find her writing. I could like hear it from miles away. It's such a clear voice. It's like this passive aggressive, pseudo objective. Sorry, I've never heard her talk, but this is how I hear her talk. But if Mr. Sanders has until this week largely avoided questions about his health, <laughs> he has projected an image of fitness as a candidate and has maintained a blistering schedule on the campaign trail. The spotlight is now squarely on him. The ages of the current leaders notwithstanding, many Democratic voters have expressed discomfort with nominating a septuagenarian candidate a notion that some political strategists say Mr. Sanders' heart attack is unlikely to dispel. Okay.
1: They should use that voice to interrogate prisoners at Gitmo. Right? They would just just, all kill themselves. So, Sydney Ember voice. Bring out the Sydney (laughs) Ember voice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, this is what I love about her line. Ready? Many Democratic voters have expressed discomfort with nominating a septuagenarian candidate, which, by the way, applies to Warren also, because she's a septuagenarian. Right. Newsflash. A notion that some political strategists say Sanders' heart attack is unlikely to dispel. You had to go to a strategist to find out that it's unlikely that a man's heart attack will dispel. Also, what do you dispel? Discomfort? Can you dispel discomfort?
1: What she means is many Democratic voters who I interviewed specifically to get this point of view um, have expressed discomfort. Uh, with nominating a in candidate to, unless it's Warren. A notion that some political strategists, who I sought out right. intentionally to get this opinion, say Mr. Sanders' heart attack is unlikely to dispel, dispel. whatever. But
0: you know. I, what I just find amazing is the unlikely to dispel part. That's so passive aggressive. It's like people are afraid of older people. Let's just accept that as a premise, right? And some people think that his having a heart attack is unlikely to dispel that fear. First of all, I think it's an inappropriate verb. You It's dispel kind of a an, double,
1: double negative-ish. Yeah.
0: But how that's such a dick move. Like, duh, you well, have a she's, heart. She's a dick. I know, dick. she's a dick, yeah. yeah. And I say that with nothing but respect. Okay, but here's a who's the bigger dick? We have to have big dick energy competition. <laughs> um, Big bad dick energy competition between uh, Sidney Ember and David Axelrod, who she quotes in this article.
1: So this is the David Axelrod quote. Running for president is a physical and emotional trial, and the presidency itself is even more demanding. While we all wish Senator Sanders well, this has to be a big flashing light for him. And given his age, it may be for some voters as well. I love how they, they all put it on the voters. Some voters, right? It's not me. Yeah, this is, this is sort of them. the classic sort of journalism. We we can't say it ourselves, right. so some say, you know, source, right. sources say we think he should drop out because he's too old and we didn't right. like him to begin with.
0: And so. they and they have to pretend it's for his sake because um, if they're afraid of it, to admit that they want him to drop out for other reasons, they're basically admitting that he's a threat.
1: Right. Right. Yeah.
0: So, but my favorite um, of the concern trolls, I think, is it's truly wrong to tell Senator Sanders to hurry back. This is tom watson by the way the co-creator of hillary men it's truly wrong to tell senator sanders to hurry back this has the mark of tragedy let's encourage a little more rest and downtime we already know bernie's message feels like this is taking the wrong turn lord knows i'm not a sanders guy even but the lord knows i know but i'm very nervous about folks but i'm very nervous about folks pushing too hard to get him back on that brutal grind so quickly although i oppose his candidacy I think Bernie is a progressive elder statesman. Can we all live with the consequences? <laughs> Fuck you, Tom Watson. Like, does he think he's he's fooling anyone? No, I mean, yeah.
1: the, the thing about this that's crazy is when uh, Hillary Clinton had her stumble yeah. in 2016, the ethics of that story are, are a little odd because... On the one hand, it's you can't really infer too much from a, p- a piece of video that just right. shows a person, you know, having little, having a little trouble on a hot yeah. day. You know, who yeah. knows? The only problem is she she did actually have you know a history. She had a, she had a, trans, a TIA, a transient ischemic attack, yeah, uh, and she had concussion. She had, yeah, which awesome. caused the concussion because uh, because she fell. Right. So if 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 she were to to have any future problems that would be concerning, it would involve fainting. Right, so right. that that was a difficult one to know exactly how right. to report. Like I personally probably wouldn't go near that that right. one. Yeah. But when that happened, the like the universal reaction among r- reporters was we just sh- shouldn't go there. Right. Be- among other things, because the the Republicans had been making a big yeah, deal right. of it Amongst for a while. Yeah. Amongst non-right wing reporters. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So th- the health issues are re- are legitimate for in ca- in campaigns, especially when you're talking about an older candidate. Right. And actually, I think it's probably true the Sanders campaign could have been more upfront about right. this um but i just they don't always behave that way you right know? so it's,
0: yeah i mean it, i remember when that thing happened with hillary i saw the video and it freaked me out and i said that but i also said that that in itself isn't a reason to right like, to, it's a piece to, of the
1: puzzle yeah you know. it's a
0: piece of yeah and i actually think honestly i think sanders heart attack is still better than elizabeth warren pocahontas <laughs> again not better sorry i don't mean better i mean more electable against trump i really think that and because why do i think that because i think. Sanders can always respond to Trump by challenging him to a one-on-one basketball game, which is an idea I took from Nathan Robinson, uh-huh. former guest, and I don't think that Warren can respond to, it's getting worse, the the stuff about her. I mean, again, I'll support her if she wins the nomination, but I'm just saying, not just because I like Sanders, I honestly think he's the most electable one.
1: I mean, yeah, that would be some ugly basketball, but yeah. no.
0: Have you I mean. seen Sanders? He's good.
1: Okay. Yep. Oh mm-hmm. my God,
0: imagine Trump coming out with like a headband yeah, and armbands and full, the full-on
1: Will Ferrell semi, semi-pro yeah. with, the, head, with the, yeah. the 70s headband. Yeah. yeah, that would be bad. So you're probably
0: wondering what does this Bernie thing mean for us?
1: What does this Bernie thing mean it for It means that
0: I'm committed to running taking on more of the share of the, carrying more of the weight, because as viewers, listeners probably know, I did offer to be Sanders' running mate. right I actually have been very derelict, I'm supposed to send him my resume, but all this means is that I'm gonna carry more of the load. It's more
1: more appear you're gonna have events in Peoria, more, yeah. Olympia, yeah. Washington, yeah. Fresno. Yeah
0: and you're going to be there because you already agreed to be work for me in some capacity.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a no show job basically. Yeah, yeah. but you're I'm gonna just ha- going to pad my yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. so we're going to have to take the show on the road. Excellent. Um, sounds yeah. good. Are you really nervous? Are you nervous about his health?
1: Um a little. I mean, look, it's 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 serious. There's no way around. I, I think thing is the Americans have such a, a short attention span. And their ability to follow the news is so so limited yeah. that three news cycles from now, people won't even remember that yeah. he had a heart problem. So it's you know it, it's it's not like it was in 1988 or '92 when this right. would you know when when Paul Songus had a health issue in '92, um, you know he had to leave the campaign because of this. Right. Whereas that's that that's not going to happen yeah. this time. All he has to do is is look is look fine a couple of uh, months from now and it will yeah, be yeah right. and
0: do well in the debate
1: right and
0: yeah. uh, remember. Dick Cheney had three heart attacks and was right. the de facto president so.
1: Right. All right, I guess we got to we got to talk about uh, it again.
0: It being the it impeachment? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about impeachment. Matt, you have a piece in Rolling Stone. The whistleblower probably isn't. It's an insult to real whistleblowers to use the term with the Ukraine gate protagonist. Now, when you wrote this, did you know it'd be as much of a release as such a shitstorm?
1: I didn't, I guess because I wasn't following how the rest of the n- news landscape as much. So I didn't realize that there, nobody else had really gone there right. yet. And so, you know, the, the, the there, there's such total unanimity about this story right now that now if you have, if there's even like a little bit of um, pushback on yeah. this, that the sort of the entire weight of Twitter <laughs> it's, it's surrounded uh, the story pretty quickly. Right.
0: And what's funny is last week when we talked and we had um Pussy rides, Nadia. It's
1: all clinical, yeah. yeah,
0: we we talked about how hard it was to talk about Ukraine Gate with any skepticism or impeachment with any reservation, just from strategic reservation, not even ethical moral stuff. Right. That's we right. separated those things out. Um, and then you know, sure enough, you write this piece and you are totally attacked and personally attacked. It's not just Sorry. that people disagree with you; it's that um, people you know. I love the way people attack you by comparing you to Glenn Greenwald. I'm sure that really hurts your ego. Very stupid,
1: yeah, Glenn you, Greenwald. You're right? just you're just like the Pulitzer Prize-winning Glenn Greenwald. Yeah. Yeah. No. Look, one of the things that's happened in in the news landscape, and I've learned to deal with it, but but I think um, it's not a small thing. Like what 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 they do is they there are all these words that are just sort of bad. You, you, like the, once they repeat enough. That Glenn Greenwald is a is a, is sort of this villain. Yeah, it's almost like the Emanuel Goldstein in 1984. Like they sort of invoke his name to sort of scare people. Right. You are Greenwald, right. right? Totally. And there are other things like you're an Assadist, right? Yeah. So like you, you, Tulsi, Putinist, Gabbard, you, Assadist, you talk about it. Right. You know, Assadist Putin. You know, there's only sort of words that that get dredged up and what happens is people it's not so much that it's like with me but people don't other people don't want to deal with it you know
0: yeah right and, and you so, said that right yeah, you said that people don't want to deal with this because this happens and it right. I mean I, I think it does have an effect like it's it's exhausting I mean I think that it just it's stifling it's a form of stifling but should we set up the, sure, yeah, we talk about the response let's I'll all
1: I was it. really saying is so so when basically to go back, there are two types of leaks basically in the news. There's the unapproved leaks and approved leaks, right? If you, like if you go back in history, the classic pair is Snowden comes out right. with his thing. That's an unapproved leak, right? He comes out Creator. and says there's a vast illegal surveillance program. Everybody goes nuts. He ends up having to leave the country and it totally, you know, rips up right. the entire news landscape that's like an unapproved story. That's like not supposed to come out. And when those things happen, the full weight of everything falls down on those kinds of whistleblowers, right? But the intelligence community is constantly leaking to the news. And these are not really leaks, they're really more like news releases, right? So an example is when Snowden did his thing, there was a leak, and Snowden writes about this in his book, where they leaked the um, the contents of a, of conversations between the, the Al Qaeda leader Al Zawahiri yeah. and a bunch of confederates around the world, and the the term was the, the the conference call of doom. Uh-huh. And so what they were doing in this instance, they they were getting bad press for having right. an illegal surveillance program. So they wanted to kind of turn the news cycle right. and say, hey, surveillance is good too. We catch this stuff, right? Right. So that's. That's like like a
0: curated ap- leak an yeah approved- it's a curated
1: it's an, it's an approved news story right. right and so this is this is really like you know sort of official them saying we're gonna give you a little bit of the hidden right. story and because we have motos here right, right right And so all I was saying was there's a difference between a whistleblower who's a person who comes out with something that is legitimately dangerous right, right? and is is going to basically end that person's life you know right. they're, they're gonna, they know it, they're going to they're going to lose their jobs yeah. they're going to face prosecution they're going to have to leave the country and and i sort of cataloged all the people right. who who've gone to prison you know the, the the new practices if you talk to a reporter about you know they'll they'll charge you with the espionage act now in this instance, in the Ukraine story, this person, I th- you know, this is an approved news story, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean that the information is wrong. Sure. it just means that this is this is part of an establishment narrative that inv- that advances a story that uh, significant institutional powers are behind, right. right? So there there is a significant portion of the Democratic Party, the press, etc., that is is sort of pushing this narrative against Trump. So that kind of leak, it's not like a single person's outrage conscience, what I was really saying was this is this is the other kind of story, right? right? It was presented as this lone person coming out. And uh, I don't, I didn't think it was that, you know, and I think that's that that's, that's a context that we have to have when we when we look at stories like this. And the instant reaction was, essentially, you love Trump. Right. You know, so, right. Um, yeah, Which I, I understand because you know, the, obviously, the, I mean, I got retweeted by Breitbart, right. which is not, which is not awesome, but it happened. So,
0: right. But yeah. this is a real problem, like the inability of people to judge ideas on their merits or respond right. to them. I mean, there are going to be times when there's overlap. Politics will make some strange bedfellows, and yes, when you write this piece, sure, will the right wing try to weaponize this for their own sinister purposes? Yes. Does that mean that you're the same as them or that you're writing this for that reason? No, and you know, it, it's like, it, we see this also with war stuff. I mean, this right. is a
1: policing mechanism. And right. what troubles me about this is, like, I mean, my take on this is probably is not common or popular. And, and right. I, I think probably a lot of people who are, you know, are going to disagree with me about this. Like, I, I look at the story in the context of a lot of stories in the last three years that are leaks from the intelligence community. And to me, there's an accumulated problem here, which is why I'm, I'm a little right. suspicious of this. Not everyone's going to see it that way. I understand sure. that. But if you, if the immediate reaction is to be like, you know, you, you can't have that opinion or else you're this, 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 and this. And right. You're pro-Putin and you're pro-Trump and all that stuff. What's going to end up happening is the only place that people are going to feel like they can get their opinions from safely is going to be this this continually narrowing little strip. And they've they've already you, you right. see already like oh that came out on Fox that can't be true that this right so now the the only place that people can get their news basically is the Times the MSNBC right. Slate whatever it is you know then you only have to police that little piece of territory and you know you can control the whole narrative right it. And, and it
0: also pushes people to the right because if people the, this story and this perspective resonates with a lot of people who I don't who are not on the right and yeah. if you're only letting you know you're lucky you have Rolling Stone. But if you're trying to shut those people down, people like you down, which we already know people are trying to do because they'll tweet at both of us, tag us and tag Rolling Stone. Right. Yeah. And they'll be like, literally, shut it down. They're a Yeah. Then you're you would you you are trying to push people like you, let's say, off of, of more mainstream platforms. And then where would you go if you want to be published? You know? Right. Yeah, well, like,
1: that's that's why the news landscape has become pretty sanitized lately, but right. it's also why people like Joe Rogan have are bigger than CBS, practically. Right, right? Yeah. And those two phenomena kind of go hand in hand. Like, if you if you very heavily police what goes into what used to be the traditional news outlets, and th- then people are gonna they're, they're gonna end up outside the right. margins, but the margins are gonna get bigger, you know. Right. And so you also, know. it's
0: such a great metaphor when the U.S. like took away, they revoked uh, Snowden's passport, right? Mm-hmm. It's such a great metaphor. Snowden didn't want to go to Russia, right. like he's he's so anti-Putin, he's so anti-authoritarian, like he's not a particularly leftist, you know. And he talks about him in this new book he just published. Um, permanent record, he talks about the northern-southern political spectrum uh, as opposed to left-right. This is such a great metaphor, like, the United States forced him into the arms of Russia, literally. He, He needed a country to go to, he couldn't go back to the United States, Russia saw a good PR opening they welcomed him and he went there which is like a great metaphor for what's happening here or what people are trying to do right which is like they want to marginalize people and then if if the only because if, if there weren't such policing and stifling of opinion your your story would be like championed or your perspective would be championed by people all over the political landscape right because it does resonate with people all over the political landscape, but the people on the left, or some of them, are afraid to say it because they'll be called Trumpian. So then what happens, you only see it on the right. Yeah. And then you, you, then you turn back at the person, you blame that person, but you're the one who's making the hostile environment, which prevents people on the left from sharing as much as they would
1: yeah people now work backwards they say look he's a putin sympathizer right, right? but well he's there because he had, yeah exactly you know, we, we drove him to the far corners of the earth because he can't be in the united states because right he, uh, because he told us about an illegal surveillance program and the per, and the person he finked on lies to congress right this is the director of the cia and that person's on msnbc so what does that tell everybody yeah. talking about john brennan so yeah, yeah yeah so the the message is pretty clear like if you if you release something that's actually a dangerous secret about the united states like you know they'll They'll crush you in this country. And if you're complicit in it, you get a cable show, right you know so right. and so that's 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 all I was saying about the story is it like you have to think about the whistleblower in that context because everybody's suddenly celebrating, oh. You know, we have to protect whistleblowers. Well, we don't protect whistleblowers. I just thought it was an appropriate moment to remember that.
0: Right. Well, see, what's what's different and makes it hard, I guess, is that Trump did threaten to kill him. Of course. Right? Yes. So, so how does that fit into it? Is it because the institutions of the CIA, the intelligence institutions, aren't going after him? So that's what makes it different.
1: If this followed the the pattern of. Whistleblowers in recent memory, Trump would already have arrested this person, and this right, person would okay. already be yes. facing 35 years in prison, like Trump, Thomas Drake. If that goes on to happen, people are going to lose their minds. They're going to say, "Oh my God, what a human rights violation!" Right. Except we've been doing that already sure, for 20 right. years. So that's all I'm all I'm saying. But at is, that
0: point, would that person, said person, be a whistleblower?
1: That's what, what I'm trying to say. Right. Is. Everybody is, is is going nuts about what an authoritarian Trump is, and he may yet be. That may right, that, sure. that, that may it's, yet happen it's certainly this, not, this
0: thing. It's beyond him. But you the, don't think but it's beyond him, yeah. this
1: this person is from the CIA, is going back to work for the CIA, right? Uh, and the CIA already. Uh, does that to people, you right, know, and yeah. I, th- I thought it was appropriate to, to at this point to sort of step in and say people who actually oppose the state, you know, on, on those right. grounds, they're already facing significant consequences. So it's all, all I'm really saying is this is a as opposed to one person battling the massive injustices right. of the state. This is a fight between two institutionally powerful groups.
0: Right. right. I think what's weird and people are uncomfortable with and they can't wrap their heads around is the fact that this is like the first time, I guess, that the executive branch and the intelligence state, which you don't say deep state. Everyone's like, you say deep state, you don't the even intelli- say that. Intelligence community, whatever you want to call it, are not, are really like at, at heads. Well, they're with each they're other. completely
1: at odds. And, and again, at that odds, that's, yeah. that's that's part of the narrative that, that I think people, the context of this, like, you know think about when Trump before he even came to office the four heads of the intelligence agencies the you know NSA chief Mike Rogers right. Comey from the FBI they they present him with the the steel report and right. they leak it to right. CNN right. You know, you, that's an that's unprecedented kind of right. opposition right so they've been at loggerheads from the moment trump came at the office so this is a this isn't a continuation of an ongoing clash between you know it's an, an unprecedented clash yeah it is between. unprecedented so, which is why
0: i think it's i think there's some people who are, really don't understand it and What the point is, is that, right, when you have the executive and CIA at all at odds, you will have the president going after someone, but you won't have the CIA going after that person. Right. And that makes that is a difference, because in the past, that person comes from the institution that then like devours that person tries to
1: yeah in the past they've been together together right together devouring the president goes
0: so does the cia or what the president devours so goes so devours yeah and
1: and and just to be clear this happened under bush it happened under obama so it has nothing to do with until now it had nothing to do with party right now now there's a schism and that's all i'm doing is pointing this out but you know it's it's a fascinating story it's going to be fascinating to see how it develops there's two whistleblowers now not one and that was part of one of the things I was saying: is you know, is this one person? Is it many people? Is it is it a, is it a group effort? We're going to find out more about that, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see.
0: Anyway, well, someone else who takes a lot of unpopular views and a lot of hits, yeah, is Chris Hedges.
1: Yeah, Chris is sort of the, 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 the standard bearer for being willing to be unpopular right. and, and going against the grain. And so we're gonna we're gonna talk to him. And, and just to, just to preface this, one of the things I love about Chris is like a really good reporter there has to be an element of just wanting to zag when everyone else is zigging you know what i mean like there has to be the the, not just the willingness but the desire to go against the grain and chris kind of has always been that person he's he's gone to places that nobody else wants to go and and so i think he embodies a lot of qualities that are really really kind of going out of style in the business and so we're going to talk to him about all that stuff joined today by a very special guest, the uh, celebrated war correspondent, one of my heroes in journalism, Chris Hedges, Pulitzer Prize winner. He's going to talk to us about a whole bunch of stuff today. But we think we should start off by what you were, you were doing yesterday down on Wall Street. Uh, tell us about the protest, Extinction Rebellion, the history of it, what happened. So
3: Extinction Rebellion is a British-based group. It's about a year old. Um, and it, I think, has come to the very correct conclusion uh, that the ruling elites are incapable of reform. Uh, and appealing to their better nature is a waste of time uh, because they don't have (laughs) one. Uh, And that uh, as a species, we're completely fucked. Um, even if we stop all carbon emissions today, which isn't happening. Uh, and therefore, our last best chance is to disrupt the machine, to carry out sustained acts of civil disobedience. Uh, it's a, you know, Extinction Rebellion is a much more robust organization in Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, so the goal is to really shut down the center of London, especially around Westminster, for three weeks. Um, they shut down London, large parts of London, uh, in April for ten days with a thousand arrests, wow. um, and I think that's it. I think that uh, that that's the only hope. So I was with them uh, and uh, gave. You know, one of my diatribes standing yeah, tell us in about front your of the stock not, right, right, right. It sounded right. kind so, of like the classic hedges. It was yeah, right. Yeah. Everything's a sermon. That's yeah. what happens. Yeah. You we should point out divinity. we're going to get into this, but
1: you're you were a minister. You went to divinity I, I school. Am, and, I uh, am. Yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah.
3: And uh, but you know, I asked the question: Who are these people behind me in this temple of greed? I probably lifted that from one of your books. Yeah. <laughs> um And uh, yes, and we that know that trademark. Who, we know who they are. You know, they were the slaveholders. They were the. Uh, robber barons and, and the railroad magnets that uh, stole uh, indigenous land and killed indigenous people and slaughtered the buffalo herds. Um, they are the uh, industrialists who gunned down hundreds of American workers uh, who were trying to organize at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. Um, they are the people who, uh, you know, uh, unleashed the reign of terror against uh, black people uh, through black codes and lynching um, yeah that's who they are and I, I went and then I asked who are we right and where do we come from we came from uh, Denmark Vesey and and uh, Nat Turner and, and John Brown and Harriet Tubman and uh, Malcolm and Martin and Eugene V Debs and you know we're often defeated mm-hmm. Um but uh, you know, I closed by saying, uh, you know, that I don't know if we're going to succeed, but these corporate forces have us by the throat and they have my children by the throat. Uh, and in the end, I don't fight fascists because I'm going to win. I fight fascists because they're fascists. Right,
1: right. And, and you did this down in Wall Street, right? Yeah. The symbolism. The, it, it, yes, it hey. was perfect. It was a beautiful <laughs> set. Hopefully somebody filmed it. <laughs> Is the
0: girl in front of the bull still there?
3: Uh, yeah, we were a little up. From okay. we were a little down from that, so it was right in front of the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. A lot of people had a, a die in, so and they'd splattered blood uh, with holding signs to uh, commemorating those who had died in the climate disasters, flooding, wildfires, etc. Um, yeah,
0: she's my favorite neoliberal feminist monument.
1: The girl
3: Girl standing standing in
0: front of the bull, which Uh is funny because I don't know how she's going to defeat the bull. She's just standing in front of it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a charge at it? Yeah. I mean, it's a great symbol in a way Uh right? of like the co-opting of feminism and activism by uh, capitalism. But it's supposed to be like a lean-in little girl.
1: Right. Right. She's going to lean in
0: for the last time. (laughs) Unfortunately, yeah. Um. I just had Christian Parenti on, by the way, who wrote this great piece in Jacobin about um, environmentalism and Marxist environmentalism, and also how we can fight climate change without self-loathing, um, which is an interesting proposition.
1: How do, you, how do you do it without self-loathing?
0: Well, he was saying that, it's, you reminded me of it when you mentioned the buffalo, but he was saying that you know, human beings and um, interact with the environment, and that that, per se, isn't bad. It's the capitalist interaction with the environment, and so we don't have to like, make it man or human, humans against nature. Well, as it's the
3: treating of the environment as an inert commodity right. that you exploit until exhaustion or collapse.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, and his book, um, the name escapes me, which I read. Uh, a Tropic of Chaos. Yeah, Tropic of Chaos It's quite good. Yeah, it's a very good book. Yeah. Chris has read basically like every book. No, no. I, I, I hang out with Cornel West.
2: So <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah,
3: that's like, it him. always is very humbling because he has read every book. Right. <laughs> and then chastises me for not. What do you mean? Really? you, didn't you read? never
0: read Schopenhauer, I call. <laughs> Brother Chris. Does he call you Brother Chris?
3: Well, we're close. He just oh, calls okay. me Chris. Yeah. Sometimes. Do you, you
1: find Schopenhauer funny? I find Schopenhauer very funny. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't read Schopenhauer. So. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or not much of it. Yeah. Huh. Uh, should I go read it? Like, I mean, it's it's, you should do
0: a reading now. <laughs>
1: it's so dark that that it, it it goes over into being funny, but maybe not everybody would think that. Well, that's
3: kind of like Kierkegaard. Right. Oh, I yeah, do yeah, like
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Who said um, it? Kierkegaard or uh, Schopenhauer? We, we could have, have, a contest have a, later?
1: Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Um, all right. So, how, how did you get into journalism? Like, let, let's go back to your background. Your your father was a minister, right? Yeah. You talked about this. So, it, was no, it wasn't your intention to go into journalism, was it? Um, well, it was my intention to be a writer. Right. Yeah. So, exactly, I always yeah. wrote. I mean, for the age of four,
3: you know, mm-hmm. I knew what I wanted to be. But I had this, and I I, uh, I published my first piece when I was twelve in a historical journal. It was the history of my father's church, which was very old. Um, and then I published my first piece in a major newspaper when I was in college. Um, in the Christian Science Monitor. Mm. Um, you wanna hear that story? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's a yeah lot no, of that's good no, that's good, yeah. Okay, so you were in Boston, right,
1: so at the time? Right?
3: No, no, I was in, so I went to college at Colgate, okay. upstate yeah. New York, and I got a internship uh, on the House Foreign Affairs Committee for the summer, okay. on the Subcommittee on International Development, and so uh, somehow, rather than answer letters, I, uh, got myself into a position where it was done during the Carter presidency. I was writing a case study of Gulf and Western and how they treated sweatshop workers in La Romana in the Dominican Republic and they were killing them. They were shooting labor union leaders were being murdered, found dead in a ditch. And uh, so uh, I found this guy, his name was Sasha Volman. He'd been like a partisan leader in Romania during World War II and then, so he was one of these European socialists who hated communism Mm. and he went to the dominican republic and became a huge cia asset um so he you know was fighting quote unquote the communists um but at the same time he hated the big corporations and he was in a hospital in georgetown having some pretty serious surgery like his gallbladder removed or something and i found him and he had all the dirt on golf and western and he gave it to me Mm -hmm. i mean just dirty dirty stuff wow and so one day i'm in my congressman's office. This was Michael Harrington from North Shore Boston. And two guys in suits come in from Gulf and Western, uh, which was all mobbed up with Charlie Darn And, and uh, next thing you know, I'm called into the Administrative assistant's Office and I'm fired from my unpaid internship. Uh, and I go around and collect uh, uh, donations from all the rest of the interns. And hitchhike to Miami wow. uh, to go to the Dominican Republic. Yeah, I'm going to tell you the whole uncensored version. And there was <laughs> wow. this very beautiful French American woman named Jeannot, and somehow this is a movie. It's I convinced her of to go with me. Uh-huh. Wow! But I honestly blocked out what my argument was. Argument. I like Year it. later. I had lunch with her. She lives in Boston when I was on a fellowship at Harvard. I said, Jenna, why did you go with me? She goes, oh, but you told me the
0: congressman said I had to go. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't remember saying that. I honestly don't. Well, it's fact. Anyway, yeah. uh, to off be, we it went. Was yeah. It was civic
0: Hitchhiking duty.
3: Hitchhiking through Georgia with a blonde ponytail, not a good idea. And we got to Florida. That uh, We flew to the Dominican Republic. And she was a Baha'i and went to a Baha'i retreat. And, uh, So I was gonna go out and finish the work, uh, the investigative work to write this piece about Gulf and Western and how they were breaking and murdering labor union leaders. And um, I had no money, I had no resources. I'm staying in a little uh, dormitory for the sons of Haitian cane cutters uh, uh, run by the Episcopal Church in Santo Domingo. I come out the first day, I run into an American woman who's the organist she introduces herself as uh, Tamaño. I said, oh, you mean like Francisco Camano, the guy who was a colonel in 1965. The U.S. Marines yeah, invade. Right. He goes to Cuba. He raises a rebel force. He comes back to the Green Berets land and wipe him out. He said, yeah, it was my husband's wow. brother. Wow. And uh, so I tell her what I'm trying to do. And she said, well, my daughter, Liliana, I was like 19 or something who was in her 30s, uh, has just gotten divorced and is back.
0: Janae, better look out.
3: Well no, she's off at a Baha'i retreat,
0: so oh, okay, I'm on got my it. own. Good timing.
3: And uh and so and this she was a firecracker, this woman. So they lend me the family car. We go out there and uh uh we we are going to all these sweatshops where the foreman um had these they were almost the size of baseball bats and would beat the workers. Wow. Um and they
0: were ba- what were they that they were
3: well, they were they were it was textiles. It was La Romana was a big sweatshop right. area. But they, what
0: were they beating them with? That were like s-
3: nice? L- they were yeah. like big truncheons, but they Tra- were bigger oh, okay. than truncheons. Yeah. And at one point, uh, they started beating on. I decided to take a picture, and that was it. So the goons start. Except that I ran track, and I was very good, and they couldn't catch me. And so then it starts to rain because it's right on the coast. You know, these these thunderstorms come in like freight trains, and. Uh, and so I think her name was Liliana. She's driving up and down on the dirt roads, and I'm trying to get to the car before the goons get me. And she's screaming, don't touch him. I'm a Camano. And uh, finally, I make a run for it. I get in the car, and we drive. You know, I think it was about three hours, if I remember, back to Santa make About two hours, we stop at this uh, shack, beer shack, <laughs> and drink a lot of beer, and then come out and it, it's the rain stopped and it's feral, so you know, the the steam is coming up from the vegetation. And She pulls me up next to the car and says, uh, did I ever tell you I have a tattoo? I said, no. She said, you wanna see it? I said, sure. <laughs> and she unzips her pants and she has like a butterfly or something tattoo right there. And that's when I knew I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. <laughs> <laughs>
2: nice. So, that, so and I published wow, it. Great. Yeah, I published I'm it
3: in the Christian Science
1: Monitor. But it, did you publish the photo as well and all that? No, no, no. no
3: it was the Christian Science Monitor.
1: Oh, right. Don't okay. you know? Right. No, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, they they never talk about uh, sex or death.
1: Huh? Yeah. Everything in between. Right? Yeah. yeah.
3: But you know, I I had I, my father was a social activist. He was involved in the anti-war movement. He was a World War II vet. He came back from the war pretty much a pacifist. He'd been in North Africa. Uh, He was very involved in the civil rights movement and the gay rights movement. And I couldn't reconcile the quote unquote objectivity of American journalism. I cared about writing and loved writing. Um, But I wasn't really objective about injustice, suffering, human misery. Um, And so I did go to divinity school uh, at Harvard. Uh, And then after two years, I kind of had, and I always say Harvard's where I learned to hate liberals. Um, <laughs> we talked about this because yeah. you were on the, I lived, on the team, right? I lived in Roxbury. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was running a, a small church there uh, in a very bad part, of, you know, Boston, right mm-hmm. across from Mission Main Mission Extension Housing Project, and um, so commuting into Cambridge every day where. Uh, With classmates who talked about empowering people they'd never met right or or they like the poor, but they don't like the smell of the poor So and they'd all go off Jeffrey. Yeah They'd go to Nicaragua and pick coffee for a week with the Sandinistas and spend the rest of the semester talking. But they wouldn't cross the Charles. Yeah, they wouldn't take the green line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I took a year off I went and studied Spanish with the Maryknoll fathers. I freelanced ended up writing stuff for the Washington Post ended up absolutely broke in Buenos Aires was actually trying to get a job on a freighter so I could work my way back to New York City and the Falkland War broke out and I was in Buenos Aires so I ended up doing NPR, the Yorkshire Post, the Baltimore Sun. I mean I went from like living on $50 a month to making $600 a day uh, and like all people who don't have never had money, of course, I threw away mm. my clothes and bought like the most gaudy. Yeah, the worst yeah, clothes like, you can possibly find. Yeah, the worst find. clothes you could right. possibly find. And yeah. it was Argentino, so you can imagine oh how God, bad I those God. were. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a reserve. No, I thank God, I don't. You I had a reserve table at La Recoleta discotech. Wow. I developed a very expensive cigar habit.
0: Could have been worse. Um,
3: and yeah, so by the end of three months, I made a fortune and it was all gone. And I didn't even really buy anything. But I don't regret it.
1: To get back to the, the your, how your career started, I always when y- young people ask me how do you get into journalism, and I you always say don't. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's the first thing I say. Go go to med school. Yeah, if you can't go to med school, um, just move. Overseas to someplace interesting, you know, yeah, but that doesn't work anymore. Matt. It doesn't work anymore. That's true But because it didn't did, it did it did did for day. me didn't mind didn't my day yeah, right? because
3: well you were in Russia yeah. yeah, I mean because there were outlets I right. mean I could the Boston Globe had a foreign section the Philadelphia Inquirer had a foreign section and
1: everybody needed stringers yeah,
3: Everybody needed stringers. So yeah. I mean I began as a stringer mm-hmm. and then eventually was hired uh, as a you know, full-time employee, but um, That doesn't exist anymore. I mean, you know when I was in Salvador every network had a bureau, they had reporters, they had producers, it's all gone, yeah. vanished, yeah. up in smoke.
1: That was a way into the business back then, was, was just going going to hotspots, you know, sure. there, there weren't a lot of journalists who wanted to go to these places. That's right, right? well that's
3: the great thing. Yeah. And that was great for my career at the Times because all the jobs that I wanted, nobody else wanted. Right. Like when I volunteered to go to Sarajevo, the executive editor, Joe Lelyveld said, well, I guess the line starts and ends with you. Which was great. So they don't want to go there. They all want to go to Paris, so they want to like hang out in Washington.
1: Well, that anything. was natural at that time, because it wasn't exactly the safest place to no, be No, it wasn't very well, yeah.
3: Forty-five reporters had been killed uh, when, by the time I got there,
1: yeah. Right, right. Um, but it was a great—I mean, there was a lot of opportunity for reporters back then, because there, there was still this appetite yes. to get the on-the-ground on the thing. And it was kind of—it's kind of a hole in the system a little bit, right? Because the editors don't exactly know— What's going on? They still actually need the person on the ground to tell them yeah. the who, what, and where and right. why. Right. And
3: you know, the great thing about it is it's called sat phones. Mm-hmm. Since you can't fire it up, for, <laughs> they have to leave you alone. I mean, when I would like, go out in Bosnia with my sat phone, I didn't have electricity. So I had four hours, if I remember correctly, battery.
0: What's a sat phone? A
3: satellite phone. So okay. I would set it up. My photographer would send, he could send over the sat phone. I'd send. Then we have to turn it off. Right. They can't, can't come for you. Yeah, right. It's,
1: it's great. So go and do your work. Come back, yeah, give yeah, us yeah. something, right? And right. you kind of exis- existed for a long time at the times in this kind of weird gray area where they you were on the front page regularly. Yeah, you well, were they need the people East. like that. What yeah. they
3: don't want is you in the newsroom.
1: Right, yeah. right. That yeah. never
3: works out really well. Yeah.
1: yeah. So so we were talking before about the you the first Gulf War, and this right. I think this is really interesting because this is kind of a metaphor for your whole career. Like the, everybody else was doing this this new form of reporting, this kind of embedded pool reporting, right? Yeah, well,
3: it was even worse than that. So, you know, so the first Gulf War, um, the people running the military, press operations, all came out of Vietnam. And for them, the press was the fifth column. Right. What they didn't realize is that everybody was over there. This was a whole new generation. And they were all... Uh, over there to lick the boots of the military, <laughs> right. yeah. They just and and lionized Schwarzkopf, who was a drunk, and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Storm the and army Norman. was so clueless yeah. they couldn't figure it out. So they so they thought the press was the enemy. In fact, the press uh, just wanted to do their part, which is how what the press always does in war, especially at the inception of wars. Um, and Philip Knightley wrote quite a fine book on it called "The First Casualty," which is truth. Um, so. Uh, obviously, I was. I, first of all, I speak Arabic, so I was not about to do the pool. I figured I came here to be a reporter. If I can't be a reporter, throw me out. So I start going off. I got actually got a, like a Marine Corps uniform, and cause, so I could go through the checkpoints and wow. uh, sleep out in the desert with Bedouins. I speak Arabic, and I start filing these stories, and I kind of shatter the uh, storyline that the reporters, including the New York Times reporters, were feeding their editors. We can't go anywhere. We can't. And they got really angry. And so the, all of the reporters, New York Times reporters, I think there were like five of them, wrote a letter to the foreign editor and said that I was ruining our relationship with the military.
1: Because, because you weren't going because by I the wasn't, pool strictures. Because I wasn't
3: doing the, well, yeah, the, the way the pool worked is they'd take just a few people out, and then they'd come back, and everybody would write up what they saw, and then everybody would sit in the hotel and write it. I mean, it was right. ridiculous.
1: That's uh, what happens in campaigns, too. It's yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Yeah. Right, right.
3: Yeah. So I never, you do campaigns. I don't know why. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go any near them. <laughs> but it's the same it's, system. Oh, it's like the White House. You know, you don't even, right. you know, people don't have to, who knows how what Trump does. But before, you never had to, t- reporters in the White House didn't take notes because in real time they just would hmm. hand them what? The only, the only advantage I could see from a distance of being a White House reporter is that you get to introduce your mother to the president. Otherwise, I really – it's just a stenography. I mean, right. it's just the most and, – and, and not only that, but it's humiliating stenography, yeah. yeah.
0: Unless you're Helen Thomas, I guess, right? Huh? Unless you're Helen Thomas. Well, but look what they did to her. I know, her, so I know, right? On. She was one of the exceptions.
1: But I mean, basically, they were trying, they were reacting to Vietnam because during Vietnam, even well, though- Well, not know, in the beginning of Vietnam. What right. people
3: don't remember is that everybody went in to do their part. Right. And, uh, and then, it, you know, the pre- what people don't understand about the press is that it is, you're an exception, but it is largely a reactive force. It reacts. It's not a pioneering, it's not like the press told the truth about Vietnam. Uh, what happened was the body bags started coming home right. and public perceptions of the war changed. And then Walter Cronkite goes on the air, of course, after public perceptions have changed right. to criticize the war. And so the latter part of the war, the press was free to write uh, honestly about the war, or at least not,
1: not completely honest, but more honest. Yeah, they were at least allowed to take, have the take, this, we might not win this. Right. Right? Well, they also yeah. covered atrocities. I yeah, mean, you some know, of them. So, yeah. Yeah. Agent I mean, Orange, I mean, they got around yeah, to that, yeah, right? Uh, yeah.
3: yeah. I mean, now Nick Turst did a good book, Kill Anything That Moves, which goes back and looks at the Army records, the reports. So, I mean, Vietnam was just one huge atrocity. I mean, they didn't begin to come close to explaining the reality, but at least they hinted at it. That they weren't doing at the beginning. Um, so, uh, so the Army, you know, these people who would have been young lieutenants or something – uh, bought this line, the stab, stabbed in the back theory, you know, that we would have won the war, but for, yeah. And so that was the funny part, is that they were making war on, on a press. I mean, the, the whole pool system was administered by my colleagues, and it couldn't have functioned without them. And it, they administered it because, despite what they told their editors, they wanted it. And having spent 20 years in war zones... I can tell you, only about ten or fifteen percent of reporters really want to go out. Right. The rest don't. They're they're handout. They get handouts. They're, I mean, that's the honest people in war photographers, and they mm-hmm. also have the highest casualty yeah, right. rate because they have to get out. Right. They but the reporters, go, yeah. yeah, no,
1: they're So, but the, it, I mean, you think that the that system, and I'm sorry to dwell on this, but I just find it so interesting. Part of it, it seems to me. I, I was embedded in, in the Iraq War, and I felt like. Part of the strategy there was to make you feel dependent upon the people oh, who completely. you're embedded not, with. Not that. It's yeah. like
3: a Boy Scout. It's like you're weak mm. with Boy Scouts. Oh, yeah. right. And uh, of course most of these reporters have never been anywhere near award and are like shitting their pants. And they you know, they 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 wanna be part of the team. Yeah, it's really yeah. It's, uh, it, it really uh, unfortunately feeds every stereotype of wimpy journalists. Um, now, by the time I got to the Gulf, I'd already been in more combat than anybody who, unless they'd been in Vietnam, those people were all colonels and up. Uh, and I spoke the language, and I, so I didn't, I didn't need it, and I didn't want it. And but once you depend on them for logistics, once you depend on them for security, food—I mean, literally every aspect—what are you going to write? Right. I mean, you yeah, know, are you—you totally. know—if you're, I know, I know reporters who were embedded in units after they took Baghdad, and a lot of these cars, they were nervous. So, you know, if a car would come too quickly at a checkpoint they'd quote-unquote light it up, which meant, right. and it usually meant they just killed a family of six or something. Right. These reporters never wrote that. I mean, I'm, sp- I'm not going to name them, but I know who they are. They told me. Mm. Because they'd instantly be unembedded. Right. right. And, th- and that's the first problem. The second problem is that you only see the war from the perspective, right. their perspective. So they're off, you know, firing 90-millimeter tank rounds at a village. You, you're not, you don't see the result. Right. Um, it's and I'm not actually against uh, embedding. I think it is an aspect of war reporting, but when that's the only war reporting, then you don't have a clue as to what's going on. Right. Yeah. Right. So you
0: think it should be like you should alternate sides or no, I don't different...
3: want to do it. I don't, I don't. embed.
0: No, but I mean, what do you think the the the, the no? Good I think you got to gotta do have it people.
3: Is. Well, so when I went out on my own, Dick Cheney. Uh, was the defense secretary. And they invented this term for people like me called the unilaterals, a new term for being a reporter. And, and before the invasion of Kuwait, Cheney sent out a list of like, I think it, was, it wasn't a long list, 10 or 15 of us that he wanted expelled from Saudi mm. Arabia. Wow. Before the invasion. And I was Man. right up at the top. Oh, um, that's a badge of honor. Yeah, yeah right. but the funny part is they couldn't find me. They had like <laughs> 500,000 <000 laughs> troops and they never found me.
0: But when you you say that you don't think embedding is bad, so how is it that... I think it's an aspect of the war,
3: but but almost a tangential one. So uh, you're always going to have reporters that want to embed. That's fine. But you can't cover a war when your entire, uh, you know, all of the reporting on that war is done by embedded reporters. You don't really know what's going on.
0: So ideally you would have, let's say, imagining that newspapers... Still kind well, of you'd have reporters who were out have, on their own. It's
3: more dangerous. I mean, it's obviously right. more dangerous.
0: So, would one paper have, and like ideally, one paper would have someone embedded, someone on on their yeah. own, someone embedded with the actual native population or indigenous. Yeah. There. Okay. Yeah. Got it.
1: See, so went on. You were, you were based in Cairo for a while. After that, yeah, four right? years. Four years.
0: How did you learn Arabic?
1: Uh, So I was with the
3: Dallas Morning News in Central America, and um, I decided I wanted to spend the rest of my life in Latin America. It's a wonderful culture. I speak Spanish. But I couldn't get them to open a bureau in South America, so they offered me London or Jerusalem. I didn't want to go to London, cover the royal family or something. (laughs) So uh, I said I would go to Jerusalem if I could uh, take a sabbatical and study Arabic. Oh, that's cool. And I convinced... The editors of the Dallas Morning News that the best place to uh, study Arabic was that great uh, center of Arabic learning, uh, Switzerland. Oh. Um, so I went to Lausanne and studied Arabic. My f- first wife was Swiss. And, uh, and then I uh, later took courses at Hebrew University. Yeah.
0: And plus it enriches your Spanish because of all the AL words yeah. that have Arabic roots.
1: Yeah, yeah, there you go. And lastly, I guess we should we should ask about the impeachment drama. You had a fascinating yeah. go back and forth on Democracy yeah. Now last week. Um, I, th- I, I think we actually may disagree on this one a little bit. But I, but what's your what's your take on this? Because I think it's a complicated story. Obviously, uh, it, it, to me, it's like a it's a it's a basically a story about dueling elite narratives, of course right? It is yeah, because
3: yeah. well, neither party has defended the rule of law. Mm-hmm. Mm, From the first week Trump was in office, you could have impeached him on the emoluments clause clause, alone, uh, inciting racism, using tax laws to go after his uh, political enemies, Bezos, who's a shit at Amazon, Uh, um, obstructing uh, justice, Mm -hmm. I mean, obstruction, which the Mueller report, you know, was – a kind of Trojan horse, but he did try to obstruct justice. Yeah, I think you could, yeah. you could so make you, the so, argument. But none of that mattered until mm-hmm. you tr- touched the anointed candidate of the Democratic right. Party donor class, which was Biden. Right. So, in that sense, it's like Watergate. Right. So, it's all like, of the crimes right. the Nixon White House are being carried out against the anti war movement, the right. peace movement, and Ellsberg's Cambodians. Cambodia, been, every. Yeah. But as soon as you touch the Democratic establishment, then. Right. And that's what's happened. Uh, so, um, I mean, they may get them. Mm-hmm. They may get them, but as I I wrote a piece called "The Problem with Impeachment," uh, it is it may makes it probably going to make things worse, right? That's because true. the fundamental structures of our society, which have destroyed our democracy, the the system of legalized bribery and corporate money, the uh, collapse of the courts in the service of corporate power, wholly owned subsidiaries, the uh, the degradation and disintegration of the media as an effective force within a democracy, um, the wholesale security and surveillance state, uh, concentration of wealth and staggering social, none of that is going to change. Right. And that's where our problems come from. And so if you go after Trump and you don't address the underlying decay that gave us Trump, then uh, you are going to exacerbate the antagonisms within the warring tribes Uh, And, look, we are headed towards, uh, I think, political violence. Um, And, you know, Cesar Sayac, if those pipe bombs had gone off, you would have decapitated the entire Democratic Party leadership. So, um, And the country's awash, 300 million weapons, 1.5 million, uh, you know, assault-style weapons, these AR-15s. Yeah, I mean, we have an average of a mass shooting every day. So I... You know, and I think that the liberal class and the Democrats see this as, a, as you know, the solution. They've personified right. all of their problems into Trump. Um, and that's re- not only very short-sighted, but very dangerous. Right.
0: And why do you think they didn't go after him with the emoluments clause?
3: We know why. I mean, because Pelosi didn't think it was politically expedient.
0: But, why, yeah, I guess the question is why was that not politically expedient?
3: Well, because you have blue dog Democrats. You have all sorts of Democrats who are uh, essentially, you know, by thin margins right. taking seats in Trump territory. And if uh, the Democratic Party is seen as uh, essentially trying to carry out a vendetta against Trump, um, I think this is the reasoning of Pelosi and the Democratic Party leadership. This would hurt their uh you know their ability to uh, maintain control of the House and perhaps take control of the Senate. So we know what her decision was. But that's as bad as the Republicans. Neither party is defending the rule of law. Right. They only defend the rule of law when it's convenient.
1: And then, uh, I guess... This will give people the illusion of political yeah. protest yeah. a little bit, right. and, you know, like, the, it's going to be this enormous drama. Everybody, all their political energy yeah. is going to go into this thing that's not really about, you right. know. Right. But
0: so, even yeah. best case scenario for them, what happens, right? Like, do they think that the impeachment vote is going to go through?
1: Well, there are legends now. A lot of the op-ed pieces are basically saying, you never know, it's, right. it's getting more popular, so we might actually get to the two-third.
0: Yeah. And even if that happens, then what happens? Then Pence... If he, if he's, well,
3: as Noam Chomsky points out, Pence will be worse.
0: Because yeah, right.
3: Un, you know, Donald Trump has no ideology, really. And but he's Pence galvanized does. so much Pence opposition. At, Pence is yeah. a Christian fascist.
0: Right. Low, but, like, seeming, but he's not rude. He's polite.
3: <laughs> he's a lot more dangerous.
0: <laughs> no, I know. So I, I don't even know what the end game is. They I don't just know think what they, the end game yeah, they, is. Either. So, yeah.
3: That's the problem. Right. They don't know what the end game is either.
1: Ratings. Chris, thank you so yeah, much no. for coming in. Yeah, really appreciate you. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and a great, great free ranging discussion. And uh, and good luck.
0: Wow, that what a great. legend! That was great. I didn't know what golf and Western was.
1: Gulf and Western? Yeah. What is golf and Western? Oh, you
0: didn't either. It's a, it's like a manufacturer. He was talking about being in oh, the Dominican yes, right. Republic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought this was an age thing. I mean, we're basically the same age. You and I.
1: No, well, I really. wish we were. Yeah.
0: yeah. You're like I wish you were older, Katie. Because you're pretty immature. <laughs> yeah.
1: So we have um, some housekeeping.
0: Yeah, we're, so we're doing something very exciting. You guys may know that I'm very famous for my drinking games your on debate Twitter. debate night drinking games. <laughs> no, Matt, you have uh, one of the things that you're most well known for, I think, is besides your amazing books and reporting, is that you have these drinking games that you used to write up and now both write up in advance but also live tweet, right? Right, yeah. So tell us about that. Where did that come from, by the way?
1: I actually don't remember. Didn't
0: it start with just Republicans? Debates Um, or no? I
1: think it might have started with the last debate cycle in 2015. 16 okay and so like we started earlier, we but. started doing that and so we're going to do it again next week we're yeah. actually going to drink and you can watch i think it, it's going to be on live right? yeah so. on
0: youtube we'll, we'll yeah. put out a link we'll put out um, you follow us, follow on, us twitter. on twitter i'm, I'm K-T Helps, which is letter k letter t h-a-l-p-s and you are
1: at Taibi. right
0: yeah that'll be really exciting
1: so uh, you can join us next week when we drink ourselves to death on yeah, camera
0: on tuesday night yeah. the 15th of october yeah so
1: if that was useful idiots thanks a lot and we'll see you next week
0: yeah thanks bye don't forget to rate and review.
1: <laughs> right, right, because we hate positive America. Yes. Screw those people.
0: We must crush them.